Well, as we turn back to the book of Romans, I hesitated when uh, AJ was leading because I somehow stopped in John chapter 14. Oh, no. I said, well, hey, you know what? It's not right. So, chalk it up to old age and so on, if we would. Well, this, it is Communion Sunday, and so I haven't done this in a while, but it is primarily a uh, salvation message because uh, communion really is the celebrating of that which Christ did for us on the cross so that we could have messages just like this. Amen? Amen. And so, long-tailed cats, I'll explain that when we get a little bit later on into this thing here. But uh, our key verse, and actually phrase, is in uh, verse 23, and it's the last part of it. But the overall gist of the area that we have here is this. And it is the spiritual versus the temporal or the world. The spiritual kingdom as the kingdom of the world. And that our greatest responsibility is to those things which are spiritual, not to those things which are worldly. And so we know that uh, Paul has written, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Now, that sounds pretty ambiguous, doesn't it? <laughs> you think about it, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. And you're probably thinking to yourself, as I think to myself, and as man, we, we sin often. <laughs> How many times in the day do I sin against God? Because not everything I do is, not, is of faith. So it appears that the idea of what constitutes sin is that it has to some, it has to be some egregious or some heinous act. And that's what we typically think of sin. We don't think of sin as the fact that well, I don't take time to study and meditate my Bible, even though I'm commanded to do so. Or that I don't share the gospel when God, the Spirit of God speaks to me and I'm, I'm to be sharing the gospel. And I bulk. Or I back off. Or I try to reason with God and say, they're not interested. Well, the thing is, God knows their heart. I don't. And so, for me to disobey God, it's a sin. And so, it doesn't have to be egregious murder, rape, theft. It doesn't have to be a heinous act. But the overall biblical presentation of what constitutes sin from God's perspective, and we, listen, can we, can we at least agree to this this morning, and that is that whenever we're reading the Bible, we're getting God's perspective. And we don't need to be arguing with him because he knows things we don't know. He knows things that happened in the past. He knows things that are going on right now. And he knows how those are going to play out in the future. And you and I don't. I wasn't alive when the Roman Empire was ruling the vast, vast area of Europe and North Africa and, and, uh, and the Middle East. And so unless I read about it, I will never know much about it. And having read it, I've learned some things that I wish I didn't have to know along the way. But nonetheless, it is, it is, it is important to, to realize just how messed up that world was during those times. But anyway, all other acts considered sin fall into this category of acts done when we refuse or fail to trust God. And we act contrary to him and his righteous ways. Now the Bible is given to us so that... Uh, we don't have to guess right from wrong. Isn't that wonderful? I, I would hate to go to a job and be hired and, and not told what my responsibilities are. Amen. Amen. 
It, would, it could be a, 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 a terrible eight-hour day, just not knowing what to do and not even knowing if I'm doing it right according to company procedure, and that's why usually when you get a job, I know back before the ministry when I get hired on and working with computers and programming and stuff, you had run procedures, you had company manuals, and you read them to find out what their what their overview was, what their goals were, and so on, and you were to plug yourself into those things, amen? And so it is when we read the Bible, we get God's perspective on our responsibilities and how they're to be played out in our lives through the world. So, as I said, the Bible is given to us so that we don't have to guess right from wrong or what constitutes right or wrong. God clearly reveals the answers to either. Now, we live in a, in a, in a day and age where uh, the, the, our society wants to believe that there are no absolute rights or wrong. Now, three college presidents testified before Congress. None of them would speak the truth. All three of them have resigned. Absolutely. And I believe there's going to be more to come. And even after they realized that they didn't get the sympathy they thought they were going to get for what they believed, then they began to backtrack. Well, folks, we can get into the Word of God and we can know what constitutes right and wrong. We can be well-educated, well-informed through divine wisdom and through divine knowledge. And when we begin to get into that gray area, the sensors begin to go off. And we need to realize that, okay, I need to stop and I need to reassess. So God clearly reveals the answers to either right or wrong. And we may feel as though we have our own ideas and may have stated such. However, the debate ends with God and how he defines sinful behavior. Amen? Well, I just don't see anything wrong with this. Well, that's your problem. Check in with God to see if God sees anything wrong with it. And if he says there's something wrong and he convicts you, don't press the issue. Amen? I mean, God is the final... Uh, we always use the Bible, but the Bible is God. God is the Bible, if you will. That, uh, that uh, he is the final authority in all matters of life and faith. And so either we can acquiesce to the scriptures or at some point in time stand before his throne where we will all yield and bend the knee and, and, and uh, acknowledge that he indeed is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Many of us are going to wish we had made him the Lord of our lives and recognize that he was the King of Kings in our lives. So, but we'll do so in humbleness or in humility. You have one or two choices. We can humble our hearts now so that we won't have to humiliate it uh, at the, at the, at the Bema seat, but that we'll be ready and we'll be prepared uh, because we can do so with a humble heart. So, again, Romans 14, 12, and 13 says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So we better find out what it is that God wants us to do and the way in which God wants it to be done and then do it. That's how we're going to have a good accounting. We stand before him. Now sin doesn't have a size. As you know that sin doesn't have a size. Oh, just a little one. It was just a little itty bitty white lie. <laughs> oh my, how we deceive ourselves. Amen. Sin doesn't have a size. It's a singular characteristic, which is an absence of faith in God, whether as an absence of a saving faith in Christ, or a refusal to accept by faith the righteous life he wants us to live. 
Now, we tend to lie to ourselves when it comes to sin and say such things as that it isn't really a big deal. It's just me. It just affects me. Well, there is nowhere, anywhere in the world where the Bible says that sin only affects you, the individual. You may reap the fullness of the harvest, but it does affect others. As your pastor, if I sin, it affects you, the congregation. If I sin, it affects my, my, my wife and myself and my family. It affects our reputation as well. And so it is a big deal when we choose to sin, regardless of how big or how little we may wish it to be. Or another expression is, I'm not hurting anyone other than myself. And then I'll go the excuses in an attempt to quell the conscience that is screaming, don't do this. Don't do this. So odd, isn't it? How it seldom actually does ease the conscience when we make these excuses. Someone will ask, Pastor, do you think this or that is a sin? And if you're thinking about doing that, I'm going to give you my answer right now. Why are you asking me? Why aren't you asking God? Because you may not like the answer God gives you. Or, or you already know what the answer is. Amen? And so let me again define sin. It is the rejection of God's perfect will for our lives, which is to be holy as he is holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. Be holy as I am holy, or be holy for I am holy. That's God's will for our lives. And we can't be giving way or giving place to sin, no, no matter what size we may think it to be, to take place in our lives. And you're probably thinking, Pastor, is that really possible? Well, I believe that we will stumble. I believe we will falter. But we can certainly be more aware of our walk and the nature and the character of our walk. More so this week than last. More so next week than this week. We should be, there should be spiritual growth every step of the way. So someone has said that sin is like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. Or sin will keep us longer than we want to stay. It will cost us more than we want to pay. It will take us further than we want to go. And it will pain us more than we want to bear. Those are the ultimate four characteristics of sin. And it never fails one way or the other. Whether it is in this lifetime or when we have to stand before the Lord and give an account of our stewardship of the believer. I believe there's going to be some Real serious emotional pain at the great white, not the great white throne jump. They're going to be there too, that's for sure. But at the beam of seat for believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 7. It's in 2 Corinthians. <laughs> I just do a total blank. Uh, in there, I think it's chapter, it's, I think it's chapter 9, verse 2, and so on there, in that area there. But uh, let's, let's, we're going to deal first of all with the word sin, singular, as opposed to sins. Because the world does what the world does because it is not saved. And that being the issue, it's a singular sin that keeps out of heaven. 
the rejection of Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Everything else they do in their life, well, it may matter in a way, but it's not going to change their eternal destiny. They're already bound for hell. John chapter 3, verses 18 through 21. They're already condemned. They're already alienated, already separated from God. And so the first point this morning is alienated versus being reborn. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, we know what that says there, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That word sinned is singular, meaning that we have a sin nature. You didn't have to do anything because you inherited. John chapter 3 and verse 3 says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be what? Born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. So this being Communion Sunday, we should come to a clear understanding of its purpose and why it is one of only two ordinances, by the way, we practice, the other being baptism by immersion. Now, the word sin in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, is in reference to a particular point in time, and it is singular in that it took place the day that you and I were conceived. We inherited a sin nature. Now, I didn't have to wait until I was born to... To, to receive the characteristics that would make me my father's son. Uh, there are characteristics of my grandfather, characteristics of my father. Uh, these are all inborn through the exchange of the DNA and so on in the conception process. And so in that, I was, I was, I was born a sinner. I was conceived as a sinner. The process was not a sin, but I was a sinner. We inherited this sin nature from our, from our parents as we to look over in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, now that was, that was a physical death as well as a spiritual death. The spiritual death took place first. Adam didn't die for another 900 some, some years later. But he did die spiritually that day, and it required a, a sacrifice of an innocent of innocent blood uh, to cover or to at least clothe his his sinful act. So wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All, all means all. There's no exceptions. Now the wife and I were saved. We were saved when we got married. We were saved when we were going to have children. All of our children were. Born sinners. Just because mom and dad were saved, we didn't pass that on. Because that is something that only Christ can pass. Righteousness is only, only Christ can pass that forward. And so, again, uh, we inherited this in nature from our parents, and there is no one who bypasses this reality, as we see in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Or if we were to go to 5.12, as he says here in the last part of that there, he said, for all have sinned. We're all born with a sin nature, all born alienated and separated from God. What a dilemma. Uh, there's a lot of people who don't realize that. Uh, they're just going to church, figuring that if I go to church, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Or maybe they occasionally read the Bible and feel, I'm okay. Well, the truth of the matter is, they're going to the churches and they've never been saved, and so churches don't preach salvation messages. Shame on that church. I would not want to be the pastor who has to stand before God and give an account for the failure to preach salvation messages so that people could understand clearly what Christ did, what his mission was, and why it was all, uh, why, why it was necessary. 
And so in Romans 3.23, the mood is in the indicative, which means it is a statement of fact. And in this case, it is a factual statement by the Holy Spirit, via the Apostle Paul, that said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. So it is this sin that has us alienated from God and headed for a Christless eternity in a place called hell. Now, this factual statement reveals that we are in need of a Savior. Oh, I don't know anybody who, if they, even if they, they, they didn't believe in a hell, would want to go to a place like that. I mean, they would especially tell you that if you gave them a choice, heaven or hell, which would you want? Hey, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go to hell. Now, some stupid people say, oh, I'm going to go to hell and party with my buddies. Well, there is no party down there, by the way. There is no fun down there by any stretch of the imagination. All the joy and everything is in heaven. And so um, we come to that place, and you're reading it, it says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And you probably think, well, I didn't do anything. I haven't done anything egregious. I haven't done anything heinous. Well, you were conceived. And that wasn't egregious. It wasn't heinous. It's just a fact. It's a statement of fact. And as a result of that, you, you, you inherited a, 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 um, a sinful nature, alienated from God, all the way from Adam, pass it all the way through, from, from generation to generation, from, de from century to century, and uh, millennium to millennium. And so God not only tells us of our separation due to his, this inherited sin nature passed down from Adam and Eve and every successive generation following, but stating what is, uh, but stating what is, uh, he also gives us what he has done for us in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 he said but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us so all within the book of Romans we can find out that we're, we're sinners that we're in need of a savior but we can't and certainly we can't save ourselves because there's no indication in here whatsoever that, that we could do anything to save ourselves nothing we must come by faith and that faith is a gift of God to be able to believe the record that we have before us. And so, as surely as we inherited a sin nature at the point of conception, at our new birth in Christ, we inherit his righteousness. And it says the same thing again in Romans chapter 5, looking down at verse 16. And not as it, and not as it was by one that sinned, so we do not inherit righteousness from our parents. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Now that's important. Where it says there that... Uh, uh, which receive abundance of grace and the, and, and the gift of righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. Because Isaiah said all of our righteousnesses are as what? Filthy rags. The righteousness that matters and the righteousness that counts is the righteousness which God clothes us with, which is the righteousness of Christ. That is our righteousness. That is our standing before God. That is our ticket to heaven, if you will. And so, verse 18 says, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. 
For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So baptism cannot do this because it is not meant to. Baptism was not designed to make one righteous or to give one a right standing before God in and of itself. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can wash away and cleanse us from our sin. And uh, the Bible says, and from Jesus Christ, who is, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The work of Christ, the shedding of his blood, allowing his body to be bruised and broken was for you and me. So what God is after as it concerns you and I, before as well as after our salvation is a life-changing experience. As a sinner, God was wanting me to experience an adoption from the family of Satan to the family of God. And I was adopted. I had been sun-placed, made joint heirs with Christ. That I could not have experienced, nor could you have experienced without the receiving of Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior. And so, God is after a life-changing experience based on a relationship with him through saving faith. Religions are a dime a dozen, amen. I mean, you can go out there and you can jump on board with any religion that's out that way. But how many of them actually preach Faith and faith alone. Every other religion out there will preach works, works, works. Work hard enough and you'll make it. Do good enough works and you'll get there. God doesn't say that. God doesn't say that. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. God's grace is a gift. Faith is a gift, the kind of believing faith that I need to, to, to exercise for salvation. And it is God's only means. Because he's wanting to build a relationship, not a religion. He wants to build a relationship. So we ought to get used to this idea that when someone says, what is your religion? You look at them square in the face, I don't have one. I do have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. What I've got is a relationship. Because a lot of people in these religious institutions that exist, depending on what the denomination is or what the religion is, they don't really have a personal relationship with God. They have a personal relationship through the, 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 uh, the leadership, whether it's a priest or a pope or whatever it might be. Aren't you glad you don't have to have a relationship with God through me? Because you'd, be you'd, be you'd be in a world of hurts. I can tell you right now. You'd be in a world of hurts. But... Today, as we celebrate communion, we do so as the redeemed of the Lord. The intimacy of a family relationship, and this is what it's about, it is a family of God coming together to look back on, on him, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has made it possible for us to not only be a part of the family, but to also be a spiritual family. To be a part of the, this family called the kingdom of God. And so we come together as a family for that particular purpose, of celebrating the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so, 
We do so as redeemed of the Lord, the intimacy of a family relationship made possible by Christ's death and sacrifice, the shedding of his blood for all who have called on his name for salvation. We are told that we are to do this in remembrance of Christ and of what Christ has done and Christ alone. No one else had done this. Christ and Christ only. He is the only one in human history. And this goes to show the foolishness of man in all these other man-made religions. And is they don't really have anybody who, had, who they can state has ever come back to life after they died. All their deities are dead. And they went off into the blue yonder somewhere. And they're up there. Still up there. But only our relationship through Jesus Christ. We realize that he rose from the dead. He is still alive. He is living today. And so we are so thankful. We are to be thankful and grateful for such an unfathomable love. John 15 and verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this. Then the man lay down his life for his friends. And so that brings us to point number two. The spiritual warfare in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 17. So we have seen how it is that we got to where we are in this relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ and with God the Father. So in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible says, For the lust fleshleth against the spirit. See, we're saved. But this thing that houses my soul and my spirit, it's corruptible. And it's, and it's mortal. And I'm going to have to contend with this for the rest of my life. Until Jesus Christ comes or I die first, whichever happens. And at that moment, my soul and spirit will depart from this body and it'll have a new heavenly body. But in the rapture, this body will be made incorruptible and immortal. But in the meantime, I've got a flesh. And everything God has given to us in this book is how we can have the victory over our flesh. Because our flesh doesn't like what the spirit likes. And the spirit doesn't like all the things that the flesh likes. That's why he says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that she cannot do the things that she would. See, there are things that God wants us to do, but the flesh is going to fight us every inch. Every step, the flesh is going to say, no, 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 don't go there. Don't do it. Don't go to church this morning. Hey, you know, it's cold outside. Everybody went to bed last night and said, oh, man, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be all kinds of rain tomorrow. And we're just going to kind of sleep in. We'll catch it on the, on, we'll catch it on the internet along <laughs> the way. Oh, my goodness. The flesh fights us every step of the way. Oh, man. I'm so busy. Today. I don't have time to read my Bible. And the flesh says, Pick it up tonight. But at the end of the day, you say, man, I am so beat. I'm so tired. And you go to bed and you realize, I didn't have my time with the Lord today. Oh, the flesh is going to fight us. And God has given us all the weapons we need to stand strong. Now, some of it is, uh, is, is our need to persevere and say, you know what? That's true. I am tired. I am beat. I am exhausted but I know I need to do this. And after the week that I had at work, I need church. I need to be at church on Sunday. And maybe on Monday or Tuesday, and you say, man, the, the, these first three days of the week, they were a nightmare. I need to get in the house of the Lord tonight. 
I need to have some prayer time. I need to have some music time. Hey, I need to have some testimony time. Amen? Amen. And so when someone, well, so this is the plight of the redeemed of the Lord in which we are now equipped to deal with besetting sins of the flesh. We're, we're now equipped. Laziness and indifference will keep us from doing the things that God says, I have now equi equipped you with the potential. So these are the sins that break us from fellowship with Christ and Christ with us. That is when we cater to the flesh and silence the Holy Spirit. Now, in John, if we can just turn to 1 John for just a moment. Looking at verse 4. And he says, and, and these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. God wants us to be happy campers. Did you know that? <laughs> In spite of the circumstances, he wants us to be happy. Now, you may not be happy about the pain and so on there, but happy that God knows all about it, that God is going to work. God's going to get us through this whole situation. And, and uh, you know, I, I know what Lorraine's going through. 1985, I went through the exact same, same, same thing. My appendix ruptured on a Sunday. They didn't discover it until a Friday. Gangrene had already set in there. They had to do, they, they did what they thought was exploratory surgery, only to find out that, that gangrene had already begun to set in. Uh, and God sent Dr. Majerzyk and worked through him, and I'm here today. <laughs> Make a long story short, but, uh, you know, I mean, you're, you're looking to God for the joy of his presence. The joy of his promises as we go through these, these things in our lives. Or even when we're being attacked, if you will. So he goes on and he, and he says there, This then uh, is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Christ uh, Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, uh, we have here, literally, the, the means by which God wants us to experience joy. Because happiness is fleeting. Man, if I get a pay raise, I'm happy. I get my tax bill, I'm not happy. <laughs> But so there's a lot of things that can be the, the can be the dark side of, of, of happiness that kind of kind of burst our bubble, so to speak. But joy is something that should reside in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not in the things around it, not the material things, but our joy comes from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the short of it is this. If we are sinning by our failure to study the Word of God. And, and giving time to meditation, we would have a better understanding and sensitivity uh, to what constitutes sinful behavior in the eyes of God. And I wouldn't have to go and I wouldn't have to ask and say, Preacher, is this sin? Or Preacher, I don't see anything wrong with this. If you were consistently in the Word of God, spending an appropriate amount of time gleaning from the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God will conspire to convict you that don't go down that road. Don't do that. And so if God commands us to do something and refuse to do it, it is a sin. James writes in, writes in his epistle, for him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, it is what? It's a sin. 
Now, again, we're talking about believers. And so, again, Paul mentions in our text in Romans chapter 14 and verse 23, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, that's not that ambiguous as you would think. Whatsoever is not of faith is a sin. If God said it, do you believe it? Because if you don't believe it, you're not going to exercise any faith toward it. We're going to go back and we're going to say, well, I, I don't believe that. Or I think my way is better. Then what you have just done is you have just spurned by, by disallowing faith to lead you in the direction you should be going. Into the, in, into the direction of obedience. And so, when we are walking by faith with the Lord, studying his word with the purpose of learning and applying his principles and his precepts to our lives, we are replacing sin and its desires with righteousness and, godly, and a godly desire. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creature, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We've got to beef up the new and, and, and break down the old. The old is the flesh. The flesh wants what it wants, and the new is what the spirit wants. And we've got to learn to, be, uh, to allow ourselves to be directed by the Holy Spirit of God and not our flesh. So when we look at Romans 14, verse 23b, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And that's what Paul was really, really getting at, the difference between the, the worldly dimension and, and the spiritual uh, dimension. And this faith is a faith that when one is reading and studying God's word, is an, is an overcoming faith that takes God at his word and rests with a peace that says, God said it, therefore it is settled, and I don't have to worry. All I have to do now is just trust. Lord, you settle it, and I'm going to go forward. And so the next time you are tempted to ask someone if they think something is a sin, how about if we ask God and get into his word and discover for ourselves, because it means so much more. That's why our teachers, as much as we hated it, gave us lots of homework. Because if we read the chapter and we did the questions and we listened in class, you were bound to retain something. And so, in God's army of defensive weapons, the greatest defensive weapon is faith in God. That is our greatest weapon. Satan is going to pound the flesh to get you to disbelieve God. He's going to get you to doubt God because doubting is a sin. While the Holy Spirit is screaming, no, no, believe, believe, do it the way God wants you to do it. So the greatest defensive weapon is faith in God. Satan can't deal with that. Satan is not bigger. You realize that your power over him is your faith in God. You can wear uh, flat trees or amulets or whatever you want to wear. Good luck charms. I mean, I, I knew a fellow when I was in the Air Force. His name was Dave Vieira. He was in our duty section. And one day we went over, a bunch of us guys went over to his house. He was married. And I was looking at his car and I saw a statue of Mary going forward and a statue of Mary going backwards. And I asked him, I said, Dave, is that to, is, is that to guard you and protect you going forward as well as backward? Well, he just kind of looked at me a little bit cross-eyed. But, you know, Joseph, medals of Joseph. 
All these things that people wear. Good luck charms. Somehow you're going to be blessed by this person or by that person because you're wearing something. I mean, you can put as many statues of Mary's in these inverted bathtubs as you want. And it's, not good. it's not going to help you. And I don't mean to make light of it. What is amazing what people will put their trust and their confidence in when they can just do it simply in God. God is all we need. Is there a song that says that? All I need. We're going to close with that. Remind me. Remind me. <laughs> so, study his word, and you will glean divine wisdom and knowledge. And amazingly, our hearts will know what is the right thing to do, which is that which pleases God, that which pleases the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be together. And Lord, as we enter into the communion service, we pray that you'll guide and direct. And Lord, that we'll be mindful of how important and how precious this really is. Lord, to, to be able to have this because it is a reality in our lives. That we're, we're now a part of a family. A family that is bathed in a rich inheritance made possible through the Lord Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father who has loved us. And Lord, I'm trusting and praying that we've prepared our hearts for this day, for this moment when we come together, for this very special time of praise and thanksgiving. Lord, how precious it is to us. And Lord, I would ask and pray that as the elements are being served today, that you will guide and direct and direct our thoughts. And Lord, there may be some things that we're wrestling with. There may, may be some things that, Lord, you want us to deal with personally. But Lord, we've not been willing to do so. But this would be the day that we would recognize that there is a great need to do so. That you have enabled us to be able to get the victory and, the, and to be able to conquer these things that seem to be besetting us and slowing us in our spiritual growth. Lord, it may be that there's one or more that needs to know Christ as his or her own personal Lord and Savior. We pray today that they will come to know you as their Savior. And with heads bowed and eyes closed as Diane quietly plays on the piano, I'd ask you as a child of God today, are you taking advantage in a good way? What God has made available to us as the children of God. Considering those besetting sins or the constant relentless weaknesses of the flesh that we're getting tired of having to deal with. And it seems like we have to deal with them over and over and over again. And today we're going to say, Lord, I want to be able to have great joy in this communion service today. And Lord, I, I, I personally want to have to bring this before you again. I want to leave it here. I want to lay it on the altar and walk from the house of the Lord with great joy. Preacher, pray for me in closing today. Pray for me in closing. Yes, I see hands here. Preacher, pray for me today. It may be you're not even sure if you're saved. Then I'd ask you today, whether at home or here in the sanctuary today, that this communion service will mean absolutely nothing to you unless you come to a saving faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And you slip up the hand and say, Preacher, pray for me today. I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. 
But I want to get it straightened out. I want to get it settled. I want to invite Jesus Christ to become my personal Lord and Savior. And he will do that. He will save you if you ask him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we call upon his name with sincerity, you only have to do it one time. Not repeatedly, only one time. See me after the service, I'd be glad to sit down and share with you from Scripture how you can know this. Our home viewers, if you want to talk with someone, call me by phone. I think our numbers are on the line. You can give me a call, and I'll be glad to talk with you by phone and share with you from Scripture as well. I'm going to ask AJ and Steve and Daniel if you'll come. We had before us the text which we have First Communion. We use this often. It also is in the book of Matthew. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse um, 28, I'm trying to think where I'm going to go. We'll begin with uh, verse 26. No, we'll move down a little bit further. He said, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. That's why it's so important for us to take care of, of these things or not to participate and say, Lord, I know what I should do. I'm still struggling. And until I get the victory, I don't want to besmirch this wonderful ordinance. And he goes on, he says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. Amen.
stand together and sing and rejoice.
so many things that we, we, we believe that we need or things that we can't live without. But Lord, the most precious thing that we cannot live without is you. So Lord, you guide and you direct. As we go in separate ways to, Lord, challenge your hearts, to change your hearts, the things that we've heard, may we lay them up so that they will bring about wise decisions and good decisions along the way. And Father, we pray that you'll bless the food that we're about to partake of downstairs. Now we ask that you would Guided and direct and we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and all God's people said. Amen. A lot of food downstairs, I think. Amen. A lot of sandwiches. Thank you, sir.